Although online recruiting has the promise of helping applicants get hired and companies fill positions with ease, the hype seems greater than the outcome. Finding a job listing is easier, as is submitting a resume, but the actual hiring process still involves personal interactions. And after you land a job, what are the keys to advancing in your career, getting noticed, and being promoted? From the company perspective, talent acquisition is expensive, and in a competitive job environment, what can companies do to create workforce loyalty? In this episode, you'll hear about the challenges of finding a job and advancing in your career, today's effective hiring practices, and what companies are doing to keep talent in a competitive business environment. Joining me is Brad Kosh, founder and CEO of JB Training Solutions, a learning and development company that supports employees throughout their career, from entering the workforce to succeeding in leadership roles. Brad is an executive coach, author, and in-demand speaker, as noted by his annual presentations at the Society for Human Resource Management. He'll provide insights into successful networking for landing a job, taking initiative and adaptability for career advancement, and the importance of employee recognition and appreciation in the workplace. Brad, welcome to our podcast series. Hey, John. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Glad you could make it. To get things started, why don't you tell the audience a bit about yourself and about the journey that led you to create JB Training? Absolutely. I'm from Chicago. I'm from the suburbs of Chicago, and I went to college in Connecticut. And upon graduating, I was a history major, so obviously companies were lined up to hire me. (laughs) But uh, as a history major, the one job I got was at a big advertising agency here in town called Leo Burnett. Didn't know a ton about advertising, but I ended up loving that job. I spent 15 years there. The first half of my career, I worked in account management, sort of the business side of advertising. But I was very passionate about people. And I moved into HR for the second half of my career, where I ended up doing a lot of our recruiting of college students and new hires, and then also a lot of our training. So that was the springboard for what I did next. And now, gosh, 21 years ago, I started JV Training Solutions, which is a company that focuses on employee development. I do executive coaching, I do corporate training, and I do some public speaking. Originally, when I started this company, it was called JobBound, and I really focused there on helping college students and other job seekers sort of write their resumes, interview successfully, and network their way to jobs. But we sort of morphed into this corporate training and development business, and I absolutely love it. Still based in Chicago, we're a boutique firm and travel all around the country working with all sorts of different companies and doing a lot on Zoom all in this area of employee development. Wonderful. Thanks for that. And I think that gives our listeners some context and how you're the perfect choice to sort of ask some of these questions of. And to start out, you know, many of our listeners are students who are planning a career or just starting out. You know, we live in a digital age. So what are some of the essentials of finding a job in the digital age? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I get that question a lot. In fact, believe it or not, I'm speaking with my nephew tomorrow, who's a senior in college, about this exact same topic. So it's always tricky to find a job. And one of the trappings I think that folks fall into now is they rely too much on that digital part of the digital age. And I think digital can help us out a lot. And I'll talk about that in a second in terms of networking and finding people. But at the end of the day, going online, finding a bunch of jobs, and simply clicking to submit your resume is unlikely to net you a job. The, ver- the figures are kind of around the board, but they usually net out and indicate that about two-thirds of students find their job through some type of networking. 
So maybe it's folks at school, maybe it's folks that they know in their life, but it's through networking. So my advice to you is to get your resume in order, polish up your interviewing skills, and then start working on networking. That means reaching out to folks that you may know. Again, your college career center may have access to some of these folks, any organizations you're a part of. Folks who are working now and just sort of talking to them about what they think about their job, what their career path is, in an effort to make a connection with them to help get your foot in the door as it were. But part of that, and especially as it relates to networking, having a clear indication as you learn from people that you speak with, so really define who you are and what you want to be. And then also be ready, I would think, to sell yourself because you're going to be going in, assume for a moment that you're one of many applicants for a position. So going in there and, uh, and sort of defining how you're going to sell yourself and practice that. Is that essential? Absolutely, it's essential. So, you know, John, I had the pleasure when I was a recruiting director at my old company, I read 10,000 student resumes. I interviewed over a thousand college students for jobs. So I've, I've seen, if you will, a lot through my years. And I think the candidates who do the best jobs are the ones that can articulate not just who they are and not just what they want to do, but what they have done. Most organizations conduct what are called behavioral interviews. So they want to know a little bit more about the hows and the whys of you as opposed to the what's. The what's is your resume. They can see that by looking at your experiences and your education, but they want to know what makes you tick. So I always say take a 360-degree perspective of everything on your resume. Why did you pick the school that you picked? What did you like about it? What did you dislike about it? What were some of your greatest successes? What were some of your greatest failures? If you had to do it all over again, how would you do it and why? And that goes from a position you held to an internship you had to the way you selected your student. Take that broad perspective and be prepared to talk about it. And that comes down to preparation, right? I mean, if you say, well, you know, I, I really like doing research on this particular topic, be prepared for a follow-up question. Be prepared to say why you liked it and what was that subject about. Exactly. If they say, hey, we're looking for creative problem solvers, you can't just say, I'm a creative problem solver. Right. They're going to think, can you give me a couple examples of when you were a creative problem solver? So have that at the ready, if you will. Got it. Very good. You know, we're speaking now, this episode will air in the early part of 2024. It's now late October of 2023. And, you know, we recently saw a jump in the September job openings, but many economists see this as a brief pause. And there's a downward trend in job growth that began, oh, back in mid-2021, and that's expected to continue. But many see it slowing significantly as our economy cools. And again, this is, I'm speaking to job seekers here. This means fewer jobs, fewer employment opportunities. And, and while there's many more than was historically, there will be less, and you'll more likely stay in your job longer. So the question is, what are the keys to advancing within your organization and how do you stand out amongst your peers? Sure. I think you're right in your diagnosis. I would say pendulums tend to swing, and sometimes they're in favor of the job seekers, sometimes they're in favor of the employer. But whether it's a good job market or not, you always want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward and performing exceptionally well. And here's a couple pieces of advice. I think this advice works for everybody, but I think it's particularly important for newer employees. Because mm. if you think about it, John, when you're a student, if you do what you're told and you do it well, you get an A. You take a test, you get all the questions right on the test, the score that you're going to get is an A+. In the working world, and this is what's important, in the working world, if you do what you're told and you do it well, that is the bare bones minimum to keep your job. 
in student speak, that's a C, right? Right. And, and I think newer employees need to think, what can I do to go above and beyond? And there's a variety of ways we can do that stuff. So if your boss asks you for three ideas, you give them four. If they inquire about going back the last three years worth of data, you look at four or five years worth of data. Every single thing you get, every single assignment you work on, and every single day you go into the office, you should be thinking, what can I do to go above and beyond? What can I do to prove my value? What can I do to make my boss's or manager's life easier? And how can I make myself indispensable? So when they think about promotions, I'm at the top of the list. And when they think about perhaps layoffs, I'm not on that list at all. Those are some of the things that you want to do, going above and beyond. You know, that comes down to also recognizing cues from your boss. I mean, if every time he gives you an assignment, he asks you to put together, oh, I don't know, a a presentation deck. Tell us what we've been learning, see what the results are, and by the way, I'll need the following. So the next time you're given a basic task to do, do it what he asked you the last time, thinking ahead and being that indispensable person and doing things just a little bit better each time you come back to them. I think that also is great advice. Yeah, and I, you know, building off of that, John, I have another perspective that I actually used to talk about a lot of my old company, and we were in the business of working with clients. So mm-hmm. sometimes our clients would ask us to do something, and we would give them what they asked. But maybe they needed something a little bit different. And one of the things that I think is really important is that when your your manager or your boss asks you to do something, the approach that I say is give them what they want, and then give them what they need. So. Let's say you have a better way to do a system. Let's say you have a process that could improve things. I don't think it's necessarily the best approach to say, hey, boss, you asked me to do X, but I found a better way to do it. So I didn't do X. I did Y. Now, even if Y is better, your manager is going to say, well, wait, wait a minute. I asked you to do X. You're like, yeah, but Y is better. And they're like, no, 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 give me X. But if instead you said, hey, you asked me to do X and I did it, here it is. But as I was doing that, I thought, is there a smarter, better, faster, cheaper, more efficient way of doing it? And I came up with something, and that's why. So here they both are. Why don't you take a look and see which one you think makes most sense? But I'm all about doing what's most efficient, and I like why. Oh, that's so spot on. You know, as someone who had, at one point when we were doing acquisitions, I had an ungodly number of direct reports. I had 19 at one point, and before we could hire some managers. And one of the things I would say to them is, you're empowered to do X. I want you to just keep me informed, but at a minimum, don't get me engaged. Tell me what the issues are. Tell me what the problems are and tell me what solutions you have. And then we can go over that together. And I think that is tremendous advice for anyone. Rather than just drag your boss in, a lot of times we used to call that managing up where you give an assignment to one of your subordinates and all of a sudden they drag you in and you're doing the work. Absolutely. So let's move on and let's turn this question around. So I asked you, what about that employee and what can they do to stand out? Let's turn it around and and look at it this way. What should leaders know about attracting and keeping talent and then about reducing turnover and supporting a path for growth within their organization? You know, it's funny, John, because a little bit ago we were talking, we talked about pendulum swings and when the market was very much in the favor of the job seeker, Mm. You know, there's all these terms out there, the great resignation, quiet quitting, no work Fridays. I don't know. There's all, all kinds of different right. things out there, lots of different expressions. And I spend and still spend a fair bit of time talking to companies about how to retain their employees. 
And there are a few things that are important. You mentioned hiring. I think it is really important that you bring in great people and making sure that you hire well. A lot of times we're like, hey, we, we just need a body. That's the worst thing you can ever do when it comes to hiring. You don't need a body. You need a great body in that position. You want to make sure you're bringing in A players. And the mindset of, hey, I want to attract somebody, the mindset of that excitement they feel on their first day of work is one of the things as a leader you want to make sure that you can continue to do. It's not just I bring them in and let them do their own thing. You have to be actively involved as a leader and a manager to make sure that you are attracting and keeping talent. One of the things that's most important when it comes to employee retention across any generation, but again, particularly more for younger employees, is this idea of praise and recognition. It is the number one driver of employee engagement. Bigger than salary, bigger than vacation, bigger than bonuses, bigger than job responsibilities. It's praise and recognition. What are you doing to recognize your employees? Now, I'm a big fan of praise when praise is deserved, but I'm not a big fan of overpraising. And there's a big distinction in my mind between praise and recognition. Praise is, oh my gosh, this is the most extraordinary TPS report I've ever seen in my entire life. You did such an amazing job. Recognition is, hey, John, thanks for putting together the TPS report. I know it's not the most exciting thing that we have to do every week, but I appreciate the fact that you get it done, get it on time, and do it well each week. Thanks for coming in late this weekend. Thanks for putting together that assignment. I know it wasn't the most glamorous thing out there. It's hard to over-index on recognition. We can over-index on praise, but go for that recognition. That's so spot on. I mean, you know, people want to know that their effort and what they're doing is appreciated. And one of the things that it comes up a lot when you're at a job and your boss is not the perfect boss, that's not the person you had in mind when you took the job. A lot of times selling your ideas to leadership, I follow this gentleman named Simon Siddick. He's an author and motivational speaker. And he talks about becoming the leader you wish you had. And that rank within an organization affords you authority, but your actions make you a leader. And he talks a lot about you should become a leader. Look within your peers and then define how you would approach doing a job well and then rallying your forces together. What are some of the essential skills you need to be a great leader? Yeah, interestingly, one of the things that I've heard, I didn't come up with this, but I love it. It says people join companies, people leave leaders or managers. I teach a class on leadership. And one of the ways we kick it off, and it's usually relatively senior people, I kick the program off and I say, hey, tell me about a memorable manager that you've had at any point in your career. Could be current, could be in the past, that you've had that's good or bad. So they're memorable because they were really good or memorable because they weren't that great. And we go around the room, people introduce themselves and answer this question. And as soon, John, as somebody says, at my old company, I know it's going to be a bad leader. <laughs> because rare is the person that, that says, at my old company, I had the most extraordinary manager ever. I mean, I learned so much from this person. I grew and I developed and she really cared about me. And then I quit. That just doesn't happen, right? So it is important that you are a great leader and they do take their cues from you. You work for a manager because you have to. You work for a leader because you want to. And some of those skills to me that go into making a great leader fall into a few camps. One, I mentioned this a little earlier, the ability to hire a great team. There's an expression I love. It says, hire slowly, fire quickly. We know when we have people on our team that are working out and we 
keep around for next year, hoping that miraculously something will happen, but sadly it never does, is one option. So hire slowly and hire great people. Put an extraordinary amount of time, effort, and thought into bringing in the right people. And then once you get great people, create an environment for them where they can prosper. You're giving them great recognition. You're empowering them. You're delegating to them. And then you're getting out of the way. You don't blindly and blanketly delegate, but you give them the tools to be successful. Too many leaders feel like they have to have their stamp on everything. I think the best leaders are the ones that have their stamp on almost nothing other than building and growing their team. What you mentioned here, which I find somewhat spot on, is the idea that you work for somebody because you're working for a manager, as an example, who essentially directs you what to do. But then you want to work for somebody that inspires you. And we spoke earlier about you know being that person that takes it above and beyond and, and how great it is to work for anyone. And, I, and I, I was fortunate to work for somebody who was truly inspirational. That's the kind of person that I want to, and the type of organization, right, that has a leader like that. That's where I want to be. So out of curiosity, who are some of the leaders you admire? That's a good question. You know, obviously when I think about leaders, sometimes I think about world leaders or political leaders, and I just read, obviously I knew about them, but I just got really in-depth and read a 750-page autobiography of Nelson Mandela. You can't read that book and not be inspired by that guy. And I was inspired by him beforehand, so he was an extraordinary leader in, in the sense of how he was able to bring a nation together, how he was deeply and remarkably patient, how he figured out the best way to work within a system that existed and in many years was a system that was set out to silence people just like him and what he did for that country is extraordinary. So big fan of Mandela, big fan of Winston Churchill. I have a friend of mine named Willie Wilcoff who I think is an extraordinary leader because he cares deeply about his people and, and puts them first. And I think that's really important as a leader too. And you see that with people like Mandela. And if they put the people that they're serving first, servant leadership is what it's called sometimes. And it's not about them. It's about those that are working with them. People may listen and say, well, gee, you know, for the most part, those are, whether they be historical or political leaders, there are a great number of business leaders out there and that also act within the context of what we describe as servant leadership. It's those people out there that not only speak their values, but they live their values and how they treat people fairly and that they're open to ideas. And that's how innovation happens. So when you look at great companies and you're wondering where to go, take a look at some of the leadership, the senior leadership. What are the values they put out there? And what are the actions those companies are taking that live up to those values? And and those are the types of places I think that if you're, you're looking for that first job, find those types of organizations. So Brad, what one word describes who you are? One word. What immediately pops into mind, we did this values exercise a couple months ago and our organization looked at all these values and we had to pick one or two. And the one that I picked for me, I think this is one word, it's a French word, is joie de vivre. So it's all about embracing life and taking, I don't know what you'd call it, a wholehearted view of everything that you do. So I am one of those people, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to kind of dive all in. And I appreciate life. I appreciate the people I work with. And I don't do anything sort of half-baked. 
It's how can I make the most out of every day? How can I make the most out of every situation? If you've ever seen me at a buffet, John, you'd know what I mean by joie de vivre. <laughs> I have to ask you, one of the words that I noticed on your website, JB Training, it says a chalant company. Yeah, you know, it's funny, John. I was thinking about that <laughs> word, but I was like, yeah, no one knows what chalant is. It's a story. That is our corporate mission. That is our vision. That is our values. That's who we are. That is probably even a better word. Also sort of French-like. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the short version of the long story, and the whole story is on our website, is that I'm a pretty impatient driver, and one day I was at a stoplight in Chicago, anxiously awaiting to go, and right as the light turned green, a pedestrian sort of stepped into the crosswalk in front of me and walked across as slowly as he possibly could. I couldn't go, and you know, I'm this crazed driver. I'm, I'm, you know, need to get to where I'm going. And he walked away, and as I sped off, I thought, God, you know what drove me so crazy about that guy? He was so nonchalant about that entire situation. And I thought, I'm the opposite of nonchalant, and the opposite of nonchalant, of course, is chalant, and hence the term was born. So it is about doing things with drive, with purpose, with meaning, with focus, about going above and beyond in everything you do and caring deeply about those that you work with. So that's what it means to be Shalom. Both of the terms that you've used seem to describe who you are. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners. And thanks so much for your insights. Court, thanks for having me on, John. Good luck and have a great rest of your day. We opened the episode with a discussion of the essentials of finding a job in the digital age. Brad advised that going online finding a bunch of job listings and simply clicking the submit your resume is unlikely to net you a job. He suggests that you get your resume in order, polish up your interviewing skills, and then start networking. Talk to people you know directly, or you may have access to through organizations you're part of and are working in your field of interest. Ask them what they think about their job and their career path in an effort to connect with them and see if they can help you get your foot in the door. Based on his experience of interviewing over 1,000 student applicants, the candidates who perform best during interviews are those who can articulate more than just who they are and what they want to do, but more about what they've done. Good interviewers see your experience and education, but will seek to know what makes you tick. As he suggests, be prepared with a 360-degree perspective of everything on your resume and have examples that back up what you say. Brad's advice for those just starting their career is to understand that in the working world, if you do what you're told and you do it well, that's the bare bones minimum to keeping your job. You need to think, what can I do to go above and beyond? What can I do to prove my value and make my boss's life easier? And how can I make myself indispensable? So when they think about promotions, I'm at the top of the list. And when they think about a layoff, I'm not on that list at all. For keeping talent, he mentioned one of the most important things when it comes to employee retention across any generation is the idea of praise and recognition. It's the number one driver of employee engagement. Remember, you work for a manager because you have to. You work for a leader because you want to. Brad is a big believer in hire slowly, fire quickly. When you have people on your team that aren't working out and you keep them around hoping that miraculously something will happen, too often it does not. Some of the leaders Brad admires include Nelson Mandela and Winston Churchill. He considers them extraordinary leaders because they care deeply about their people and putting them first. These are attributes we find 
in the term servant leadership. When I asked for the one word that describes who he is, Brad chose joie de vie, a French phrase that often describes the enjoyment of life and enthusiasm for what you do. We thank Brad for sharing his experiences and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Interim Dean of the School of Management and Executive Producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our Marketing and Social Media Strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our Audio Editor and Mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco for all their support. Until next time.